Hey there, film fans. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And I'm John, and welcome back to The Love of Cinema, a pod in which we'll challenge one another to discuss movies, both new and old, with a strictly positive critical eye. That's right. And to avoid lazy negativity, we're making this a drinking game. <laughs> That's right. So anytime we say anything negative at all, you're going to hear this sound. That sound means that we are going to take a drink, and we hope you drink along with us. So, pour yourselves a glass, and holy crap, we're going back to the 40s. Back to the 40s. Oh Cheers. The 40s, gentlemen. Not back to 40, because these fuckers haven't got there yet. Back to the 40s. <sighs> yep, just you. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's see what we're talking about, people. We are talking about The Third Man, which was our chosen film when the random year generator spun 1949. Yeah. That killer year in film. <laughs> <laughs> World War II's over. Let's make some movies. Come on. Yeah. Cold War is about to start right in that sweet spot. Let's go. Yeah. So we're talking about the third man. We've got a whole heap of dystopian sets just laying all yeah. over Europe. Let's go for it. Anybody just pop this? This this <laughs> just started playing in their feed. Maybe it's like me on my Apple podcast. It just tells me things that I'm subscribed to, even though I'm definitely not. If that's us, welcome. This movie, as of now, is considered by the British Film Institute to be the number one greatest British film of all time. That's was, right. Wow. It was also one of the first British films to shoot on locations. How about that? And you can definitely tell watching this, and that includes a sewer twice. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, some of it was a sewer, some of it was a set of pine wood, because you know a certain actor wouldn't go in the sewer. Oh, yeah, I'll talk about that motherfucker. <laughs> oh, that authentic sewer look of Pinehurst Studios. All right, so we're gonna be talking about that 1949 in film. I can't wait for you all to guess what the highest grossing film of 1949 was. I'll give you some context of what was going on in the world, which is very relevant <laughs> I, to our I movie. I couldn't guess what any film in 1949 was. <laughs> I know, except we read the list last week and I still like couldn't guess it. I still kind of forgot. Um, so yeah, 1949, we're going to talk about The Third Man, which is directed by Carol Reed, who would go on to win an Oscar for Oliver, which somehow won mm. Best Picture in a time when, well, I guess times were simpler or maybe not. But it kind of seems. Anyway, Carol Reed, people. I'm not sure if that was a dig or not, but I'm just buzzing it anyway. <laughs> Orson Welles in this movie. At the end of the episode, we're going to tell you what we, what we've been watching, which is going to include me talking about the Killers of Flower Moon. So go ahead and uh, stick around to the end, or check the timestamps at the bottom if you want to know. Two out of the three of us have now seen Killers of the Flower Moon. These knuckleheads tell you what they've been watching. We got some gripes, and then we're going to head into the segment. Dave, uh, sorry, John, you want to shout some sponsors out? You want to let them know uh, who supports yeah, us? Yeah, sure. We have a beer sponsor. His name is Carlos Barozzo. You can find him on the Instagram at zbarozzo.beer. Like his stuff. Love the man. Follow. He's great. Uh, we also have a music artist in residence that goes by the name Dasein, D-A-S-E-I-N. Mm. You can find all their music available for you know, streaming, liking, loving, sharing on all the usual music platforms. Mm. Go there, enjoy yourself, Dasein. What do you guys think? Fuck yeah. I'm ready to guess. We ready to get what? Guess mm. our movies? For what? Uh... I'm ready to guess the highest grossing movie. I know, but you gotta wait, I gotta gripe. I gotta gripe. Dave, uh, anything you wanna gripe about? Anything you wanna talk about? Any news that's going on I mean, on I, I guess it's a little bit of a mini gripe. Okay, yeah. we got a mini gripe. Set that one minute gripe timer. Who's going first? You are. Okay. So, has everybody heard about this Wiley e. Coyote movie? The one that mm-hmm. was finished and then canceled. And then they, they called the studio and went, no, it's not canceled. We're going to shop it around. And now they can't get the money they want for it. So the fucking thing is canceled again. 
What? This oh, you mean canceled as in like money canceled? As not, in, no, no, can, I haven't heard no, anyone use that word. <laughs> they finished the film and it's being written off as a tax deduction because they can't get any bid. So the same as what they did to Batgirl. Uh, they're doing it to Wile E. Coyote. And uh, this is like on the back of them now signing this massive deal with Tom Cruise to come into Warner Brothers. And it's like, what? How the? why the fuck would anybody dare work with Warner Brothers now? Ugh. Ugh. Especially after and that yeah. strike. They didn't do any favors. Who who did you say just signed with them or just signed yeah. a deal? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. And they got Christopher Nolan back. Universal yep. made Oppenheimer, and mm-hmm. I heard that like pretty soon after. I that mean, I'm film pretty sure. Out, I'm pretty like, sure they're not writing they a Nolan off as a tax deduction. Like <laughs> Nolan's not getting tax deducted. <laughs> Dave, when you said canceled, my mind started racing for the ways that the younger generation would think of how offensive Wiley e. Coyote was, <laughs> and how oh and it was God. reasonable. I was like, I guess there is some version of the, well, that. Well, like, they said Tommy dressed up as Girl Roadrunner. Um, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's uh, offensive to mutes. Yeah. It's offensive to uh, people who uh, maybe are abused. He's abused by the Roadrunner. What else would well, these little no, fucking bitches complain about? Yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. It's it's offensive Jesus. to people who want to hurt other people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. What about those people? What about the abusers? Yeah. You don't ever hear about them. <laughs> oh my god. Well, that's too bad. That's too bad for Wiley e. Coyote. That is. By the way, I saw I mean, that they're, it's, they're it's releasing. Mixed, it's mixed animation. I, I, you know, I could, yeah, I could see that over Batgirl, but because I probably wasn't going to watch uh, it. Although honestly, I am a huge sounds... Wiley e. Coyote fan, but me too. But that movie sounds fucking horrible. It's probably good. We're never going to have to see it. <laughs> Anybody who watched the Super Bowl, Jeff, we'll get to your gripe in a second. You guys, after the Sonic debacle, they're releasing a Knuckles movie. Mm-hmm. What was the what debacle? Are they doing? <laughs> I, I can't. Yeah, there was no debacle. The two Sonic, Sonic was movies great. did well, and Knuckles was that. Oh, the second one did not do well. That's it. It did fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Knuckles was the right. was the after credit. You know that there were in the, the the kids in the theater that I watched. You know this and like a like a normal single adult at the time. You know just by myself watching Sonic, of course. But these Weird. kids went. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna be a Matt and Mark. What the fuck? Get out of here, you <laughs> yeah, bastards. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Uh, these kids went nuts. They were like Knuckles. They like were so excited for the Knuckles. Uh, wait, no, he had, no Knuckles wow. is already in the movie. Who is it? Ah, what the fuck? I don't give a shit, guys. Knuckles is going to be in this one. It's going to be great. Knuckles is in the last one. Yeah. Let's say Knuckles one more time. It's just <laughs> just for the Super Bowl, the highest rating of all time, 123 million. Um, I watched it. It was great. Um, took a while to be great. Pretty good halftime show. Pretty good. Everybody's talking about the halftime show, which is great. All right. <laughs> Did you see that meme? Did you see that meme? And it was of a side-by-side picture of Ludacris in that outfit and Ben Stiller in his finals um, dodgeball outfit. <laughs> no. Oh, I, I did like identical outfit. The idea, I mean, it's like the fucking same outfit. Dude. It's I, so just, I just want to say, I, one clip I did see um, was, uh, of course, Taylor Swift because they cut to her regularly, but they cut yeah. to her on the big screen and she noticed and her and her friend immediately picked up a beer and drank. I think Ooh. they were playing a drinking game. We're showing, oh, good. What? Why are you sharing content at me? Yeah, John, why are you sharing? Sorry, I'm trying here? to. I'm because I'm because I'm, I'm gonna find that picture for you. Keep going. I'm listening hey, well, to your story. For everyone watching on YouTube, our screens we have a just YouTube went nuts. Channel. Uh, <laughs> go watch us on YouTube. Apparently, it's oh, good. That just went to hell. Press pause and read. Um, yeah. Every time they like, basically, from what I can tell, every time they cut to her on the big screen, she drank a beer. I'm wondering, does she did she get that from our show? 
I don't. Is Tay Tay listening to our show? Oh, sure. I don't think she drank that much. I, I could have used some more drinking. To me, it was like she was either celebrating, she knew she had to celebrate, or um, she had more people surrounding her and like holding her hands than fucking Tom Hanks's mom in Apollo 13. I feel like everybody was like <laughs> pretending like it was the fucking moon landing. Everybody was trying to get in that frame and it was like, all right, guys, you know, they, they didn't play it too much. I think but- the best, uh, I think the best acting she did yesterday was when Travis Kelsey went fucking full redneck. She did. He did started last year screaming too. and she was like, he's saying, you got to fight for your right to party, which he did last year. And then he also saying, that Las one bothered Vegas. me. Yeah. The Vegas. Like, yeah. That was oh, the most yeah. awkward moment. She was, she like, was like, oh. <laughs> she was like, please don't thank me. Please don't yeah. thank me after that. No, she, this be, is the first no, she's song. like, please don't the cut first to me. Song. Please don't cut to me. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, she tried. Oh, I just feel, I feel bad for regular, I feel bad for non-celebrity actors because now in every Super Bowl commercial, it's as many celebrities as you can jam into the, any fucking thing. Who, who gives a shit what the product is? Just throw a celebrity in there and you, you got a commercial. It's like, Jesus Christ. I hear the boxes were seven million dollars this year for a box for the commercials i mean i know it was seven million for a 30 second commercial no for a private box at the super bowl seven million yeah it wouldn't surprise me per person even even the tickets were almost unaffordable yeah um yeah i can't afford almost (laughs) 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 who who do you know that bought one (laughs) i don't fucking know anybody all right let me let me get into my gripes we can uh get into this shit you ready Set, set my gripe set my gripe timer Okay, can we get back to putting garbage cans in public places? Now, this is not meant to be a gag. This is real, and it fucking pisses me off. So this, I know in London, a friend of mine who studied abroad said there's no garbage cans on the metro because uh, that's what like the number one bomb threats. It's like, oh, there's a bomb threat in the garbage can, and so then they have to like evacuate the place. And so if there's no garbage cans, then they can't say whatever. There's no hidden spaces, I guess. But then I was in the fucking Oculus which is a weird like football shaped building near the World Trade Center that's just like so open. It's just dead space. It just looks like it's supposed to be the fucking crystal from Glass Onion, but like with stores and shit, but it's just dead open stale space. And I have an apple that I ate on the way because I was in a rush and I finished my apple and I'm holding an apple core and I can't find a fucking garbage can. So then all of a sudden I'm going in stores because I was there for a reason. And do you know what's even worse than not having a garbage can? Is what's more suspicious? Me... Like 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 a like a bomb threat. I guess that's pretty suspicious. But me walking around with an apple core is really fucking suspicious. And I'm going in these stores, and they keep talking to me. They're like, "Hey, do you want to sleep on this bed? Do you want this pillow?" And I'm like, "I'm literally holding a half a Macintosh. Like, get the fuck away from me. Leave me alone. Don't talk to me when I go in your store. If you talk to me, you lost the sale." Little kids are like, "Mommy, he's got an apple core." They're all going, "Yeah." There's no garbage can. I couldn't fucking believe it. I couldn't find one. Like you're advocating for. Like the things they took out of the metro because they could possibly phone in a bomb threat to, and the first place you wanted to put it is right next to the World Trade Center. I, I think I don't think yeah. it's gonna happen. Yeah, I mean, it's a dead space. Just dude. put a camera on it. Put a camera on it. You <laughs> know they have six weird. Cameras. <laughs> you know they have weird metallic censored shit and radiation shit. They, they they're they have good technology now. I can have a place to put my Apple Core, so I'm not holding it when i'm going in casper how about i'm surprised so you're voting for more trash receptacles over public <laughs> bathrooms in new york city well I, I ended up finding a bathroom which had a garbage so that ended up being my solution but okay, it was very yeah, hard cool. to find is it has anyone found the uh the, it. it's i think that they've come over the threads but i think they're also on x it's got got to go new york city and they just regularly post what the uh the current 
codes are for all the bathrooms in like the um, Chipotle's and all that sort of thing all over New York. <laughs> That's it's almost hilarious. like they're a, it's almost like they're funded. They go in and buy a burrito so they can get the code and let, just give it to everyone. That's pretty good. Hey, God, that's pretty good. No, that's what social media can yeah, do, right? Folks. Not all that's not like, all heroes wear capes, right, Madam Web? Yeah, little uprising. Shut up. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Dave, seeing it next week, folks. Get your mini review here. Yeah, next week. He said, "John, I'm gonna watch it so you don't have to." That's what that, that was literally the yep, that's the line pre-show. That's that's where that's where sure. I'll go. That's how far I'll go for you guys. Actually, that wasn't pre-show. That was between shows it, because John's internet sucks. <laughs> Jesus. Actually, I think it was true pre-pre-show. Oh, that's I literally on me. had to plug in. Oh, well, that's on me then. <laughs> I'm gonna turn your panel off in a minute. I'm just gonna keep John, is that uh, <laughs> John? Is that uh, is that the Conformist behind you? The fantastic Italian film that we watched recently? Is that the Woods and I guess. No. no. Did you watch the fucking movie this week? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> also, the conformist is in color. You fucking idiot. <laughs> Remember? Can you just get off my back? God, the conformist. That was a good one. Wasn't All right. It? That's fantastic. God, right. so much more. Gonna, so much more Italian read. than Ferrari. All right, I'm gonna get this. Uh, <laughs> Let me get into this next segment. Also, I hear that the dog from Anatomy of a Fall stole the show at the Oscars luncheon. How fun is that? Something that nobody will ever watch, the Oscars luncheon, and something stole the show from it. That's pretty interesting. All right, Good people. Boy. Let uh, named Messi, not to be con- not to be confused with Lionel Messi, who didn't play in a game in Saudi Arabia that people spent a lot of money for, and they fucking rioted. And he was in a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah, he was. <laughs> he was playing. His- Shot from low angles to make him look much taller than he actually taller. is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Wow, they're even trying to phase out Apple boxes now. Let's get into our. He was running on a beach, Dave. He was dribbling a soccer ball on a beach. <laughs> he was dribbling a soccer ball on a beach. He played more in that commercial than he did in Saudi Arabia when people paid full price for tickets and didn't see him and got pissed off and demanded a refund. Saudi. All right, people. Are you ready to talk about the film year, the greatest film year all on record, 1949? <laughs> Shut the fuck up. All right. So it is finally talk about this film. It is finally time for you all to guess what was the highest grossing movie. This is way according to Wikipedia. And we've already talked about this. Before 1976, 1977, these numbers are bullshit. But let's just assume they're right for the sake of this fun conversation. What was the number one highest grossing film from 1949? I'll give you a hint. It was a Columbia picture. It was at Columbia. Wow, Harlem Nights. I always <laughs> Harlem Nights. Shut the in fuck 1949, up. yeah. I always guess musicals, so I'm going with On the Town. Very, very good guess for being a musical. Uh, no, On the Town is not on the list, unfortunately. Um, okay, how about this? Wow, you all guess a movie and see if it's in the top ten. Guess a movie from 1949. Adam, Adam's Rib. Adam's Rib is not in the top ten. Wow, really? Dave, guess a movie. I, no, I got nothing. <laughs> 19. Little Women. Little Women was number nine. John, Are you for serious? the win. Little Women with Katherine Hepburn, not as Joe. With baby Katherine Hepburn. That's like Meg or some shit. Comes in at number How nine. The highest grossing movie of the year. <laughs> uh, the, the Great Gatsby. Uh, No. 
the number one highest grossing movie of 1949, according to Wikipedia, is Jolson Sings Again, coming in at five. <laughs> I almost, I almost said that. I almost said that. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Al Jolson. That, right? He broke the sound barrier while wearing blackface. Yeah, he Al was definitely Jolson. not the first person how is, how is to do different? blackface. <laughs> if, that is, if that's any comfort to you, Jeff, he was not the first I'm in sorry. 1949. This is, this is, it's not funny, except fuck. Um, so anyway, he this first talk, he was the jazz singer, and, and that's Al Jolson. And so apparently ever since then, People just wanted more of that. I'm just going to point out we didn't even buzz you. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. didn't even. What the hell? We're we just staying away from it. You, just stay away from it. Thank you. Number two. We, have, we don't buzz racism. You're just going to see one of us run into it at the kids' camera shop and slap accent, him. That's total accent. Yeah. I was trying to make a joke about how ridiculous we were. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. Battleground by that. MGM. MGM's. Fuck. We have some. Saw, yeah. Guys, thank you, Dave, for producing all of these episodes, uh, especially when it's late at night and you got work to do tomorrow because we fucked up. <laughs> Battleground comes in at number two with $4.7 million. I was a male war bride. <laughs> John, you can't burp in the middle of my fucking intro. I was a male war, war bride. Yeah. <laughs> I was a male war bride. 20th Century Fox <laughs> hit film comes in at number three. <laughs> Sounds of Iwo Jima comes in at four million, which sounds like all of those like spoofs Ooh. that come in where people just like watch war like footage in theaters. The Stratton story. Spoofs? Are you talking about newsreels? No, no, no. no. Yeah, I mean, you, know, like, you know, like movies, like in 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 um Inglorious Bastards, where they just go watch that one guy just like kill a bunch of people and they're all cheering. It's like I feel like it's like one of those, which is like sad, yeah. but it just sounds. It was a propaganda film. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> the Stratton said. story comes in at number five. Pinky comes in at number six. Mister Belvedere goes to college. Number seven. Neptune's daughter. Number eight. Little Women. Number nine, as we had mentioned, and Sorrowful Jones comes in at number ten. It's a Paramount film. So movies that you may have heard of did find their way into. The awards conversation. That's right. All the King's Men would go on to win Best Film, directed by Robert Rawson, who would go on to win Best Director. Although Joseph L. Mankiewicz, in A Letter to Three Wives, comes in there. Actually, he won the Oscar. Robert Rosen won the Golden Globe, as if that mattered. Broderick Crawford won Best Actor for All the King's Men. Olivia de Havilland wins for the heiress. Now, this is an all-time Scorsese favorite. This is like the inspiration for The Age of Innocence, Olivia de Havilland in The Heiress. John played the Montgomery Clift role once in a play. I love that all, all the 90-year-olds that are listening to our podcast are going, oh, yes, they were good. Yeah. We are crushing <laughs> with the 60-plus here. Oh, just, blackface. We are just... <laughs> <laughs> John, I thought we were cutting that bit from our fucking show. Do I have to keep that bit in just to justify this joke? It's going to be five minutes God. of this episode goes to air. Dave's going to have to God. sweat listening back to this, whether or not to of cut Of course it's shit. fucking awful. Of course it's fucking awful. Jesus yeah. Christ, people. Mercedes McCambridge wins Best Supporting Actress for All the King's Men. James Whitmore wins Best Supporting Actor for Battleground, which is one of those movies that was on that list. I keep hearing Battleship every time he says that. You sunk my Battleground. Yeah, that's literally what I keep saying. <laughs> hearing that too. Man, fuck everybody, okay? Come on. Okay. By the way, it finally, it finally happened. I'm going to just to say this here. Um, I, went, I saw my, fam, my my dad's birthday's coming up. We saw Sweeney Todd yesterday on Broadway. We, all, we loved it. It was great. Um, my cool. mom said this is the first time she couldn't watch, she couldn't listen to one of her episodes because I, I cursed too much. That was the first time that I'd heard that from my family. Jeffrey? Uh, actually, Jeffrey? Jeffrey? No, Twitter. No, it's not the first Twitter, time but... we've heard that from your family. They, they were like that when we first started, too. What the fuck do they <laughs> think about me? I'm just buzzing <laughs> everybody. 
You? You've been I on your best behavior series. recently. Yeah. You took the Elon Musk sweatshirt off, though, and now you're getting loose. I've, I've dropped the C-bomb on at least two episodes. <laughs> that is true. You're, you're in Australia. that accent, you're Australian, I expect. You're Australian. Yeah, yeah, I expect great. no less. Okay. Love words should just okay. flow out of you like okay. water. Other movies, though. So here's the thing. There like are Al movies Jolson that can... in... <laughs> You don't even need the Al. It's just, you know, it's like, Jolson, like, sings again. Ha, huh, ha, huh, here it is. Oh, sings. Jolson There were a couple fantastic movies here that um, we should mention, too. Best foreign language film at the Oscars went to The Bicycle Thieves. Actually, there's no the. Oh, just Bicycle Thieves. Just, just quick side by though. Yeah. How, many, how many times did they remake The Jazz Singer before they took that bit out? The, the bit that's actually in sound? Did they remake it? Or do you mean just, like, cut it out? <laughs> like, like, no, when they remade it, because it's been remade, like, five times. I think they kept it in because it's in sound. That was the part that, I didn't right? Know he that. was the performer. Are you sure you're not thinking of A Star is Born? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I think you're thinking it's basically the same fucking movie. No, no, no. I, I see how you got there. Yeah. I want to be a singer. All right. Keep a going. Star probably should have come out this year. Um, the Heiress, by the way, which we mentioned before, it was directed by William Wyler, who would go on to win a yep. bunch of Oscars later. White Heat came oh, out this year. Bunch of the, Oscars. the Accused came out this year. It Happens Every Spring came out this year. But I think two. So I guess the European or the, the foreign language films, so Bicycle Thieves, the non-English films. Stray Dog, Kurosawa's second film, comes out here in 1949. And perhaps Ozu Yasujiro's best film, perhaps the first of this specific trilogy he did of these uh, films that I believe all took place in Osaka, Late Spring, which Don and I saw at the film for once. Late Spring, which is fantastic. And you know what? Because there's nothing to talk about this film year on Wikipedia, which is obviously the source that I use for this. uh, The top 10 money-making stars of 1949. Are you ready? Bob Hope. The number one money-making star, <laughs> Bing Crosby, number two money-making star. There's a three-way tie, or so there's a there's a tie for third, not a three-way, a two-way tie for third. Bud Abbott and Lou Costello, of course they're tied. They're yeah. the same fucking act. That's a weird thing. Wiki- yeah. Fuck Wikipedia. I'm buzzing. Wiki- well, I'm buzzing myself for Wikipedia. John Wayne comes in at number four, and this is well before. At least the you know they Gary had wage Cooper. parity. Mm-hmm. Touche. Yeah, because they're men. Sorry. Okay. Um, you don't have to buzz that. That's true. Cary Grant comes yeah. in at number six. Betty Grable, hey, there you go. And Esther Williams come in at seven and eight. Humphrey Bogart at number nine. And Clark Gable at number 10. So legends, 1949, that's who made the money. Wow. And a couple things going on in the world. Just a couple, Dave. Just a couple. NATO was founded this year. Yep, and it lasted all wow. the way until 2024 when Donald Trump convinced Russia to go ahead and bomb everybody. Yeah, did you hear that today? Else. Yeah. Oh my God, What a piece dude. of shit. Okay. Oh my God, oh buddy. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that, by the way, that might have been a tactical error. Um, you gotta pay your bills. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta. By the way, Israel was admitted to the UN. I mean, Con Ed sent me the same letter. It's like if I don't That's pay right. my bill, they're gonna, you know, get That's Russia right. to bomb me. Yeah. They also said don't. They also said don't <laughs> yeah. use energy tomorrow, which is a weird double standard for them. Um, communist forces gain power in China. So nationalist fleets to Taiwan, which is still in dispute. There you go. The North Atlantic. Oh, I already talked. Shut up. The Soviet Union lifts the Berlin blockade. Berlin airlifts end. Apartheid becomes official government policy in South Africa. Not great. Hmm. West Germany and East Germany formally established as nations. That's going to come up relevant in Vienna when we talk about the four sections going on in our film. Vietnam, Indonesia gains sovereignty. 500,000 steel workers go on strike. U.S. Air Force's lucky lady completes first nonstop around the world flight. 
electron microscopies developed. And then in world events, the New York Yankees beat the Brooklyn Dodgers 4-1 in the fucking <laughs> Electron world colonoscopy. <laughs> yeah. The NBA was formed. The National Basketball Association was formed. And last but not least, people. <laughs> last but not least, people. Do you think silly. the NBA was exciting when it was all no. white dudes? No. <laughs> Do you think it was just... All, yeah. Jewish white dudes in those shorts? Uh-uh. Nope. 5'8 um, to like 6'2", max. And we it saw it just... in 1979. It wasn't great with all my guys. Okay. <laughs> silly Putty was introduced this year. And last but not least, Meryl Streep, Billy Joel, and Richard Gere were born. Oh, And of wow. course, this movie came out, which, as I said, is the number one British the film of one. all time, according to the British Film Institute, which beat out Brief Encounter, Laura's Arabia, both David Lean films, The 39 Steps, Hitchcock, Great Expectations, David Lean, and then some other shit, the whatever. And Train Spotting wow. actually came in at number 10. But people, this movie is ranked number oh, wow. one British film of all time by the British Film Institute, and they know British films. So, <laughs> are you all ready? Any other movies that I missed that you want to shout out? No. <laughs> okay. So, are you ready? They know British films. We're gonna set Jolson. This, we're gonna set this movie up. This is a Grand Green script. He is a he was a novelist, so he wrote a novella. He was a uh, of this movie novelist, I believe, former spy. Play. No shit. As well. Wow. Yeah, or at least he had fr- at least he had friends who were former. I think he was a former spy because he also wrote um, Quite American, uh, which was in Vietnam. Oh. I actually stayed in the hotel he stayed cool. in when he wrote it Jesus. when I was over there. Graham Green. How about that? Yeah. Damn, it's pretty weird damn that Orson Welles. Info. It's pretty weird that Orson Welles has an uncredited script editing role because it's almost like in order to cast him, you needed to pretend. Oh. You needed to like pretend to give him stuff to do. It's like Orson Welles, like just let him write his fucking movie. You have no, no, one no. scene in the movie, just chill yeah. out. And he he wrote his own screenplay for that. The whole Cuckoo Clock speech was his screenplay, his contribution was, to the script. Was it Orson? Yeah, it was. That was a good. That was a good bit. That was a good bit. I did. Okay, I, I, I have something on that later. Okay, um, and as we said before, lines. Carol Reed directed the movie, and um, he also has an uncredited writing credit. But I feel like every director should just have an uncredited. Just, just leave. The, you know what I mean? Just chill the mm. fuck out. All right, Robert Krasker put a bunch of Dutch Dutch tilts in this. You cinematographer bitches. <laughs> it takes a bunch. place in Vienna. I just, I just thought they couldn't afford a tripod, and they were using like a chair. Between the world war. Hold still. <laughs> this takes place in that brief period of time in Vienna between. World War II and the Cold War. Um, and apparently you can do whatever the fuck you want. And um, it's just packs of stray dogs controlled most of the city. Are you ready? And apparently cats too. Are you ready for me to send this movie's conversation your way after I read a brief description? <laughs> Jesus. Pulp novelist, Holly Martins. That's a man, Holly, by the way. By the way, I believe Joseph Cotton. Holly yeah, Martin. 49. They're not casting a woman in the lead. <laughs> they they did, did little lot. Dave. They did little little <laughs> women. I can't even find it. Little women and the heiress came out women. this year. Dave. <laughs> little women and the heiress. Only one of which was in the top ten. <laughs> Nowhere near. Jolson sings. <laughs> okay. Pulp novelist Holly Martin's travels to shadowy post-war Vienna only to find out himself investigating the mysterious death of an old friend, Harry Lime, which sounds like a delicious flavor of Mountain Dew. Are you guys ready (laughs) to discuss this film? What'd you think? What'd you feel? I'm assuming it was all our first time seeing it. Is that true? Hold on, wait, 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 wait. 
the the words hairy lime <laughs> sound delicious to you <laughs> for mountain dew like if i'm like, having mountain yeah. dew you know it's like yeah I'll hairy Mountain, Mountain Dew is people. You're putting so much emphasis on the Harry. All right, Harry. Is, how do you forget? How do you not? How do you not hear the word Harry? Harry is a qualifier for a lime. I mean, I don't know. Harry. <laughs> Harriet. What did you guys think of the Third Harry. Man, which is available on the Criterion Network? Baby, get your Criterion Channel subscription up. Let's go. What'd you think? Let's do it. It's available on Criterion. It was also because um, I ended up having to Tubi. rent it because it's also available on Crackle. And I'm just Ooh. just out of curiosity because Crackle puts ads in. I fired I fired it up for a second on Crackle. Crackle has less ads than Netflix with ads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After you told us last week, fifteen fucking ads. Yeah, yeah right. I believe it. Too. Yeah. yeah, but they didn't. They didn't dig a, a hundred million dollar, a hundred billion dollar, whatever hole in their fucking <laughs> bottom line by giving Chris Rock all this goddamn money for shit he already had. Anyway, um, what do you guys wanna? You guys wanna talk about with this movie? <clears throat> Have you guys ever seen this before? This was a real no, but I've heard the oh, theme yeah. many times and didn't. I never knew where it came from. Yeah, I thought it was, in, okay, I thought okay. it was like a Hawaiian theme, but it's actually the third. Well, then let me go first since I'm the only one who rewatched it. This is such a good movie. I hope you guys liked it. I can't wait to hear what you're going to say. But this was one that I watched kind of like early on when I was getting into classic film and was definitely living with you guys at the time. It was probably around 2015. And it, it was just it's it's referenced so often. I had seen the ending before without knowing what I was watching. You know, that last fan. Awesome. Yeah, the fugitive stole it, I think. I think a lot of people stole it. Mm. Um, we'll it, talk yeah. about that in a little bit. But this, um, it still lives up to it. I thought the rewatch was was fantastic. It's hard to imagine a genre like noir when it had not been done in the same kind of caricatured uh, way that we think of it now. This was still a genre that... Uh, Warner Brothers and certain people were making, there were prestige versions of this that Carol Reed had already made and people like Billy Wilder and Orson Welles had, had made in the 40s that led up to this movie. But I think they really exploded um, as cheaper kind of B productions in the 40s and then in, in, well into the 50s as well. Britain had not made as many of these. So there's an argument that this was... Uh, kind of one of those happy accident legendary masterpieces. This was not altered by Carol Reed. This was, you know, another production that was being made in London. He had a great cast around him. He had a great cinematographer. Graham Greene wrote an awesome script. It was set at one of those magical apex moments in time where you had a backdrop that was just incredibly interesting that was, you know, transitional. It was a transitory time. We're never going to really have that moment back. Thank God we have moments and books to talk about transitions out of wartime into a new civilian way of living, because that's not something that's normal. Every time that has ever happened in history, it's always been a little bit different depending on where they came from and what regimes they're moving into. This movie just happens to be set at that time period using the film tools of noir and it's inherently British, which I think has a really interesting perspective on what had been and what would become like Western culture. Um, so if you try, I always, I always say this all the time on this show, I know that, but if you really try to put that time capsule hat on and just imagine what it was like to see a movie like this, then I don't think anybody was expecting it to be this good. And I think that's what's so cool about it. 
it ended up just kind of like Casablanca, kind of like a few other movies. It just happened to be a really great combination of people at a really good time with a really interesting backdrop mm -hmm. and, you know, context. It ended up transcending itself. And throughout the years, I will give a shout out to Carol Reed just because I think people were kind of unimpressed with the latter parts of his career when he eventually won Best Picture with Oliver. I think that bothered some people. I think a lot of people wanted Funny Girl to win or maybe The Lion in Winter or Romeo and Juliet in 1969 for the 1968 year. Um, he also did, you know, some before this, he was like really well known for, um, sorry. The Fallen Idol. The, and uh, uh, Odd, Odd Man, Man Out. Out. The Fallen Idol, yeah. I mean, so it's just kind of interesting to think about a film that is this popular with film buffs and they don't necessarily raise up the director the way they tend to do in their pretentious ways with a lot of other movies that came out in classic Hollywood or around the world or classic no, instead, British instead they periods. raise up someone who's in it for like 25 minutes honestly Aww. and you know he <laughs> is, he is uh, Orson Welles Orson Welles is told Peter Bogdanovich that he said it was um it's one of those parts it's it's the he said it's the best written star part i've ever played because just like um apocalypse now it's one of those roles where for the first hour of the fucking movie they're talking about you it you just hear about and then yeah. you know yeah. which is beautiful and then to carol reed's the reveal of this man that sequence is one yeah. of the best fucking film sequences of all time it's, it's incredible it's wonderful that's so I, I really had a great movie. You can see from the look on his face, he's like, people are going to eat this up. Like, oh, they're like, oh, this yeah. is good. He's going to love this. <laughs> so that was my rewatch. I loved it. I had such a good time. What a beautiful 4K restoration. Shout out to Studio Canal for bringing that motherfucker yeah. back. It's beautiful. Yeah. What would you guys think? Totally. Dave? Um, this was a first watch for me, and uh, I'm... I mean, I'm a pop culture film buff, so I lose interest in a lot of things that happened before the 70s. Uh, and so sometimes going back and watching this is a hard watch. And I can see how some people wouldn't want to watch this because it's old and sure it was great at the time, but is it great now? Cause so many other things like we've seen this all before we've seen this done and done and done, but this, this is the film that did it first. Mm. So there, there's definitely merit in watching it because they, they weren't like homaging or duplicating something. They, fucking made this they thought this up first like they, they yeah. shot this in a particular way they styled it in a particular way the fucking architecture just laid itself to wire lighting it's like let's just spray a single source yeah. light and the fucking architecture lights itself like it's there was Crazy. there was a lot of a lot of thought in like locations all that sort of stuff um the first half of the movie has a had a lot of i want to say character dialogue that i didn't feel was really necessary but it's not until later you realize that that is so weather through it it's it's worth it it's kind of worth it for the payoff this this is a, this is a good film it's a good film nice. yeah i thought about it for a while where i was like is this a noir i feel like noir is so like an overused term nowadays but it's like you know i, I it is and i'm sure that's what it's billed as but it doesn't feel it, and I, I actually think the score dave you mentioned the score you had heard the 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 theme before the score is like uh, funny and like upbeat and stuff. Yeah, it doesn't. And it's, doesn't the location match. is so bleak. Also, I I also wondered, and I wasn't there at the time, but you know, because Vienna is is in four sections. There's a, a British, there's a UK, an American, a French, and a Russian. Sounds a little bit like Berlin, right? Just a little, little different, but um, you hear a lot of German and Russian. And this movie came out in 1949 in England, so in the UK. So I, I kind of was wondering about the what was it like 
for that bold choice because none of these characters were hmm. were looked down upon for their nationality. You know that that wasn't. It's not like we equated them with war like in our country. It's like every people are still mad at the Japs, right? Like some grandpa's and stuff, you know. Um, but like it was just some. Everybody was human and funny, and it was well done. And this lead, there's something cool about him not being an expert at anything. Not, it's definitely not writing, apparently. That fucking, you know, he's an author that is part of a panel. That's like basically why he gets paid and his panel sucks. So it was just really <laughs> fucking weird and interesting. But just the way it starts, and, and I don't want to say humor is in, it's like ha 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 Caddyshack humor, but he shows up. We don't know anything about him. He shows up and he's trying to look for his friend and they basically say he's dead. And he's like, what? I was going to stay with him. And somebody else later, like at the the funeral, I guess, for him, he goes to the funeral and sees it. And they're like, hey, do you know Harry Lyme? He goes, yeah, I, I, I'm his friend. I, I was going to stay with him. And the guy goes, well, that's awkward. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's, it's fucking weird. Yeah, and funny. I know why he didn't pick me up at the fucking airport. I know it's, it's so like, great yeah. when they fi- when they find that secret underground thing and they're just like, well, I don't think it's just the rum or whatever they're sneaking down there. I don't. There's just there's something about it that's so light, even though the the subject matter is so dark. And then when you find out about the third man, it's like ah, that is so enticing. But I don't need them to layer on the genre. What, what we would now, I don't even know if they they thought about it like that. But it was just so easy to watch. Not saying it was simple. But like easy to watch in the sense that like how do you not just get roped into this mm. and and just follow along these very human simple characters that are incredibly relatable on this very specific and very very well done movie? It was fucking great. This movie's great. So I, I have to ask because yeah. um, you guys watched the the restoration on Criterion. I'm I'm guessing um, does that have the American or the original ending? Because uh, uh, should we? Sp- Spoil because I didn't know there was well, a different ending. No, I've only seen well, it on it's basically the the final scene, which is actually sitting behind you on your screen right now. Yeah, um, it has that one. The, the yeah, one. but no, but there's there's one where like a reconciliation happens, and there's nope, one where definitely it doesn't. Not. Okay, nope. cool. It was awesome. It was yeah, because for for American awesome. or, for American audiences, they changed it to uh, to they took out all of the alcoholism and made him more of a hero, and then uh, also at it gave it a slightly happier ending. Yeah. Hey, one of my God students was damn. on pe- one of my one of my voice students was on penicillin today. Speaking of this movie, hmm. they had an ear infection. Oh, no. they, they took a moxicillin. I hope he wasn't on delicious Mountain Dew's penicillin. Or- yeah. All right. Good <laughs> joke, John. Good joke. Hey, they went to the Mozart Cafe in Vienna. That's a little on the nose, huh? Also, come on, we got a little. Give, we got to give a shout out to that cat. Uh, what else is? <laughs> Wait, what else is funny? Oh, guys, how about little fucking Gavroche over there just trying to screw shit up? Like all of a sudden, the kid with the ball just being like, hey, daddy, that motherfucker right there, he he knows that guy. He killed him. This little fucking Gavroche. Yeah. Leave us alone, bro. And the little bastard wouldn't let it go either. He's following him for blocks. I love that the cat and Gavroche had similar things where we saw them first. We saw the cat, we saw Gavroche, and then like it would soon reveal their importance. You know, and we saw like these two little innocent cutaways, one to a cat and then one to a boy at different times, obviously, with you know, and then later mm. the boy with the ball was at there where the porter was dead, and they're like, Hey dad, papa, papa, and he runs after him, little fucking brat. And then the cat, it's like, Oh, there's a cat, there's a cat, and then it starts licking a shoe, and they're like, Oh, okay, and then you realize, of course, that big reveal. I mean, it's just like 
Again, simple. That's not, it's not genius. It's not too yeah. clever. It's so fucking simple, and it's just it's so great, guys. It's great. Did you did you hear Isn't about uh, the thing with uh, the director Reed? Um, his friend sent him a note after the after seeing the film. Because the first thing my wife said when she sat down next to me watching, it, she's like, "The camera's all wonky." Because yeah. one thing, one thing particular you taught in cinematography is that the human eye can perceive verticals off. They'll t- it'll tolerate horizontals, but verticals really fuck with your mind. Uh-huh. Um, and she's like, "Yeah, the cameras, the cameras all wonky." And apparently, his friend, who was another director, sent him a spirit level with a note attached. Next time you make a picture, put this on top of the camera, will you? <laughs> oh my goodness good. these canted angles folks we're talking about these like dutch angles these oh man i just thought they were so effective and they were used so much yeah Inurito, but, but there was no Inurito logic there was no logic to it either like, you didn't know which way your neck was going to go in any particular scene because it could the, the establishing shot could, could be wonky and then the main like the next cut was straight which so honestly was, it made me wonder if that was like when did they? I I would love to know when they arrived at that that form. Like I and I, there was a real part of me that was curious if walking around a city with that many ruins of bombed buildings, if it kind of felt that way. Like I wonder if they took hmm. that from the nature of their location. I mean, it oh, could, it could just be that like he wanted no, he wanted to be feel put, unstable the whole time, or you know they were filming I mean, sure on cobblestones. That's, and that's why we normally little. use it. Yeah, that's why we usually yeah. use it, for sure. We want yeah. you to feel that way. But I wonder if he was also trying to say Vienna feels like this now, partially because of the government and the politics, the lack thereof, and the, you know, this transitional thing, and also because levels are not really – there's nothing that – you know, there are so many broken down – anyway. Dave, yeah. what did you think about – Well, the tripod was just a single bomb crater source. every time. Sure, sure, sure. Honestly, very, very well could be. <laughs> This movie made me think so much about it was wonderful use as well of canted angles of vanishing points with perspectives. And mm-hmm. one of them, you know, like this is a real classic one, but they use them quite a bit with shadows, uh, which were I thought were really beautiful. And the way that they, I thought, found multiple, you know, alleyways for that in each shot was spraying down the stones so that they always had mm. reflection on the ground, which yeah. I thought was so brilliant because yeah. the movie, it doesn't really rain in the movie, does it? I can't no. remember if there's actually a think, rainy so. scene. No. So that every so. every square, when they were moving around in these gorgeous the, oh wide my God, open the different, squares. Yeah, the difference are, between wet cobblestones and dry cobblestones is amazing. Huge difference. Well, it just disappears yeah. when it's, you know, when, it, when it's black, if it's in shadow, especially the way most of those were in shadow, the there was bounce that was hitting a lot of these, these you know, cobblestone streets they were creating you know these wonderful like it's a different different level of contrast from the hard light they were shining on some distant wall to catch a shadow catch a shadow when somebody was running past it i just thought that that ended up creating such a orson wells is apparently very famous for saying that black and white is the actor's friend because it creates such a even amount of like contrast that you're not distracted by anything other than expression you're not distracted by the way the actor looks or the, the range of colors around the actor and the environment. It's it, it's only expressive. Everything else is has two ranges. <laughs> and I just thought that they uh, they found a way. I'm always so impressed when black and white cinematography, especially really expressive black and white cinematography that is very common in noir, finds a way to not detract from the performances. 
mm. when they whenever they heighten them where it doesn't you I know remember, what i mean and it yeah and it can it can make a whole lot i remember shooting a music video once and they they, they took it away and somewhere in editing they decided it was going to be a black and white music video and i'm like well i, I wish you'd fucking told me i would have lit it differently because i was lighting oh, color. wait why wouldn't they tell you that yeah, well, they decided halfway through the production period to suddenly change it to a black and it's white you, clip. Th- and I'm like, the, I would have fucking lit it differently if, if that was the case. And, uh, yeah, it's so it's... how it works. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's not. <laughs> it's not like a picture on your phone that you could just change the filter to grayscale. No. And I mean... Or it, Tokyo j- or whatever that is. The other thing is, like, they're, what they're it, doing this with light meters and shit. Like, there's... You're not, you're not getting a viewfinder. You're getting, like, an eyepiece and... You know your your light meters and I guess the the know of the the grips and gaffers the know how. But uh, guys, I have dragged you. I have dragged you through a couple night shoots in our lives. How mad do you think all the crew was? That not a moment of this movie. There's one scene in the day. In the yeah, not, no light. A, none. Honestly, there's a couple well, like they, they uh, be, short scenes. The, but the thing is, they didn't have to go to their the, day job after that. <laughs> although have, I guess yeah. not. although it was funny he was um he was, he was famous yeah well that funnily enough he got hooked on speed making this movie Get um who uh Carol Reed. Reed. yeah because <laughs> um because Orson Welles was such a dick and arrived on set two weeks late uh they had to shoot with three uh. consecutive units to keep on schedule can you and imagine? he was so he was doing 20 hour days on on set with three different units. three scenes how did he fuck that up a, a sewer unit there was a day night, a day unit, a night unit, and a sewer unit, and he was just he was working on all of them at once. Man, man. Not to mention the fact that this, Guys, they had to build a replica of the sewer at in uh, Pinewood because Orson wouldn't go down in the sewer and film his shots. So that's a, that's a double down in the sewer. Oh, well, he it, it kind of looked it, a little weird. I was I was wondering why they did it that way. It was mm. like this seems he seems distant. I thought maybe they were just trying to. Play, to deal with I mean, some of the distance thing. shots. That yeah, was, that that was a great shot, though. It worked. Yeah, so like, I, yeah. I wouldn't have given up that shot either. But yeah, there were there were times where like the close-ups were all filmed on Pinewood Studios. What a prick. In a rep. I'm, glad, I'm, totally glad, I'm glad none of his movies his, were ever even close to being as good as Citizen Kane. But, but yeah, the director was working so long, so he actually got hooked on speed. I totally believe it. There are. Uh, I would venture to say there are three extremely famous sequences. Not scenes, but sequences in this movie. Two of them take place at night, both one one above ground, one underground, and then yeah. the daytime scene with the Ferris wheel. Yeah, or starting yeah. with the swings, and then with them coming in and then doing the Ferris wheel. And I just wanted to give and a shout you notice, out. I think did you I, notice in the Ferris wheel with the cinematography, the the Dutch tilt was moving with the car. They were they were oh, slowly rotating that's the fun. camera. I didn't, yeah, I didn't know that either. That's funny. That's fun. Wow, God, that's good. Good eye. I just wanted to give a shout out, and I think the last time I like really raved about this was Spielberg's West Side Story. I just these simple, you know, you're not distracted by a lot of other things than humans talking to each other in heightened situations. The staging in this movie is incredible. Like there's just blocking within scenes. Yeah, I noticed that a couple of times. The blocking inside yeah. that giant Ferris wheel car. It's probably not a Ferris wheel. It's like a big standing car. So simple, but the way that they would counter each other until they eventually both found themselves near the door and they have that wonderful exchange where he realizes that Orson probably is going to kill him and Orson says yeah you're the only one who knows what I'm doing and he wraps his arm around the side 
so that it would be more difficult to throw him out. <laughs> I just, I don't know, you guys. There's just, the, the, I just, I wouldn't no have had the courage to do it. It just seems so unrealistic. It seems so expressive. It seems so dreamlike. I just don't know if like people in real, in the real world would have done that now. That was, that was the I actual could, guy you know going, I mean? is, is he still acting or like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's about yeah, to happen? Basically. Fucking hang on. <laughs> basically. Um, I don't, I mean, that, then the, we have the, the uh, sequence is, I mean, it's so good though. That, that, that scene on its own is just so good Yeah. that it's like, I'm glad we can trust writing, you know, that the whole thing, the, it's what a bold thing to say after the whole world has been crippled by war too. You well, know, it's, it's, like, it's funny because that, that whole, whole speech, that whole cuckoo clock speech, um, yeah. is the answer to the age old question of what do you do with a BA in English? Because there are so many, there are so many literary quotes in there. It's not funny because my wife is watching it and she's like, "Oh my god, I just got assaulted by literary name drop, like line drops." Yeah. Like, oh my god. The speech before it, though, with the uh, the dots. Yeah. I watched a bunch of interviews on this last night, and I'm going to quote somebody else again. I can't remember who was talking. It may have been. It doesn't matter. Mind Uh, mind you, when I told her that joke earlier, she told me to go fuck myself too. So. So, sure. Because yeah, he has a BA does. in English. <laughs> I think one of the most interesting things about Harry Lime, I don't know how you think that sounds like a delicious flavor. <laughs> I think one of the best things about his character is that, again, we're in black and white. Yes. You don't see this man very much. Yes. We put him in fucking all black. And yet he's a villain who, out of his own mouth in a single scene, dictates to you why he is corrupt and why he is who they think he is the the police he does mm. actually believe those things he does yeah, he defend confesses, it. yeah and yet he is a villain where you never see him commit any of these crimes yeah i actually there were a couple times on that like some Except of the gunshots you don't hear some of the like, I, <laughs> they didn't show all of the action they showed reaction shots in the sewer, you heard gunshots. You didn't see them all the time. Even even above ground in the final kind of um, sort of like hideout sequence, you know, you you heard reactions. You saw people reacting, but you didn't see necessarily what you would think of as like the central action of that moment. We were seeing reaction shots a lot. So I thought that was fascinating too. But yeah, what what a villain! And, and you're exactly right. We hear about him the whole time because we think he's dead, and then he comes to life. Well, so to speak, and then you're right. We never see him correct do any of these acts, and he even pulls a gun, which is funny because you're like, "Oh my God, is he going to pull it?" And then he runs. I don't know. And then he runs. Yeah, yeah. Good call. That that one guy that gets shot, I I did have a chuckle because he just freezes. And I'm like, did, did my fucking internet just stop? Like, I had to think, forever, I was like, and it just I, was, I definitely thought for a while, I was like, is he gonna die? <laughs> they didn't like using squibs back then, apparently, you guys. No, well, they What no. were we watching the other day when it was uh, for a few dollars more? And like, sometimes there were squibs and sometimes people just went. Yeah, oh. I, I didn't think they had <laughs> squibs yeah. in the 40s. Um, and they just died like that. They went, oh, dead. Because those things. They like, may not have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the 70s, even then, it was almost like risking a gunshot. Because some it was it's a tiny explosive that goes off, so it still hurts. It is, yeah, it's a big it is a big deal. Fucking Sunny and the Godfather. Who's uh, your, who your favorite supporting character? She she is. Oh, I mean, Orson Welles is is he's got that star yeah, making yeah, role, yeah, but yeah. she she not, is not so two. good, dude. Let's She's give awesome. it up for how are we gonna say her name? <laughs> uh, Alita. I he famously, is it Alita he famously Valley? didn't want Orson Welles as well. Alita Valley, yeah. Who do they want? Do you know who they wanted? Uh, I think it was Cary Grant. 
Oh man, they made the right call. He's not scary enough. Because because uh, Selznick apparently said that uh, Orson Welles was box office poison. Yeah, they like that. This was the era of box office and poison, like tossing that that yeah. term around. Yeah. Um, mm. Really good casting. You really could never so, work in this Alita town Valley. again if a producer didn't like you. For real. Alita I, like the, I, like the, I like the landlady, by the way. <laughs> she was, God, she was good. How about the lack of subtitles? Yeah, you know, great. That, that just, irks just me at one point. You. At one point, that irks me. Mainly because um, the dialogue was in, I, I assume, I think it was German. Um, was when it irked me, and they they had a conversation like a back and forth, three line, maybe four line conversation in German, um, and all I got was speaking German, and I thought, well, if you if you if it's an English speaking film, really you would only get that if the character is like in no subtitle, if the character is witnessing that and they can't understand them, so that kind of I was it felt like it was a little confused there. It's like why was that scene there? Because no, the character's not there to witness it; they're just having a scene all in German. And then, well, you then had the your, so you had your subtitles later. on. Is that I had them on. Yeah, and it just said speaking okay. German. I did not have them on, and it just said it just didn't say anything. Yeah, and I, I guess the same effect of what you're saying. But yeah, there were definitely a lot of times where you were just like, I am, you know, yeah. Holly Martin's. I'm just in this world that I don't speak. It's yeah. just all happening around me. And yeah, and normally that would happen um, in the case of he's witnessing this German that he doesn't understand, watching, but yeah. they're showing the scene to the audience, not the character. And we still got it in German with no, no, like you either know German or fuck you. I mean, I guess this was back <laughs> in a time when, like, you know, an English-speaking country made this. Mm. I've, this I've, not... I've seen him. I've seen him do it since. Like this, this yeah. has happened in the last couple of years as well. They've started doing that where they deliberately, uh, or if, yeah, they'll sometimes they'll put the subtitles yeah, yeah. in Spanish. Jeff, who was your beer. favorite? Re- uh... re- really unprofessional, but I'm gonna get another beer. Um, I, I really liked Anna. I think maybe it's also just the timing. Of the guy, um, the guy who Ernst Douche <laughs> recruited the, for the, the the panel. Is that who that was? So the guy that like recruited oh, God. For the panel. Oh so God! Oh God! Who was that guy? Like he's here, and then watching him when he realizes how boring this fucking oh, guy my God, is. Oh God! Yeah, speaker, he, that did not go really well. Funny. Um, you know, he I was love incredible. Baron, Ernst, Ernst Deutsch is amazing as Baron Kurtz. He was he was probably my second favorite. So you are. If you guys really have IMDb guy. up, if you have IMDb up in front of you. Yeah. Look at the landlady's headshot. Head yeah, how good Lipra? is that? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, she god. definitely was uh, either a circus girl or she did some follies or something. Yeah. That's and not and what I the guy you're talking about must be Wilfred Hyde White Crabbin. Look at that picture of that man in his smoking jacket yeah. in his library. Yeah, it's definitely not Harold <laughs> Ayer and Harold Harold Ayer. That's his IMDb picture forever. Yes, but it has to be yeah, Crabbin. Oh god, that's so fantastic. I think it is it is it Crabbin? What a, what a name by the way. I'm not sure. Go get yeah, your beer. Yeah, it has to Dave, be. Dave. I, I remember. Dave, let's I, talk there about was one. The... Hmm. It could be. No. It could. Yeah, it's got to be them. Okay. Just go. Go, go. What were you saying? <laughs> hey. Get the fuck out of here. No, it was, it was funny. I was There was one time with the uh, with the landlord where, like, he wouldn't speak. Like, and he, he, he was like, I, I, I saw nothing. I saw nothing. I saw nothing. And then he calls him. He's like, okay, I saw something. I have. I come back tonight. I have to tell you. And as soon as he said it, I'm like, oh, he did. It was the pause he has when he gets off the phone when he just looks at the whoever he's looking well, at. Well, yeah, yeah, that was I'm, Harry. I'm sure that was meant to telegraph what was about to happen, but straight up in, in that kind of film, anyone, anyone, any, anyone who says like "come back tonight," they're not going to be there. No, they're not going to be there, especially yeah. in this kind of movie. It's like showing someone a gun about... and they're not using it. 
I want to talk about before the brilliant, big, explosive, you know, amazing action sequences of the 80s and 90s, the mm. end of this movie was what an action sequence was. And yeah. I felt it, man. When they're down in that sewer, dude, let's just talk about the the shot choices, the editing, the sound design, the the tracking of the emotions throughout that chase scene. It's just it's just an absolute remarkable action well, sequence. And that I would call wouldn't you call they, it an action they conveyed, sequence? Absolutely, because they like it, it did track his progress trying to escape. But I think the thing that helped it with the action was the sheer amount of cops they showed running into that sewer after it. That was cool. And then that every cool. time he opened a lid, there was a cop there. And he's like, got to keep going, got to keep going. Yeah. So it made it like there's no exit. You're trapped in here, build the tension. People are still pouring in. They're bringing in dogs. I'm like, what are the dogs going to sniff? They're not going to sniff him. The only the only thing that One of the dudes. bugged me was the, the guys running around with the lit candles. I'm like, I would not be lighting a fucking flame in those sewers. Methane, yeah. boom. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I know it's I know it's famous, but like that one scene where they throw the search on him and he turns around, you know, and he's just yep. what an incredible picture. But I think the main thing that not the main thing it, it it all blows me away. The cinematography and the editing is is perfect, but the sound design and imagining the difficulty back then. You, you, there was no Pro Tools. There weren't even the way that we we that they edited sound into the 70s and 80s where they had a little bit more leeway over how to EQ in reverb and echo. I was listening to a guy who ended up directing uh, John Allen, I think was his name, or I can't remember his I can't remember his name. He directed several Bond pictures, and he hmm. was the second sound assistant on this movie when he was very young, and he was talking about how at Pinewood they had a few stairwells. And this fucking kid recorded every single fucking footstep in that sewer. That was what? recorded in stairwells at Pinewood. Because so, they, they had to. That, there was no fucking that echo was, or That was the kid that got the job because he had a, That's because he had a similar similar build as well, and they thought the, the footsteps would sound the same. Like, they put that much thought into it. Cool. Absolutely, dude. He did, he did... I said all of them, but he didn't do all of them. He did certain characters... And mm. he, he was eventually tasked with redoing all of Joseph Cotton's, Holly Martin's footsteps for the yeah. the final part of that sequence. Um, but I mean, they were just, you know, the timing just had to be right. They couldn't bring a monitor with them. They, they're doing, nope. it's, it's just incredible. The thing is, that, how it sounded was unbelievable. That yeah. gunshot, that final oh, yeah. fucking gunshot that you'd mm -hmm. see off screen, you hear off screen, you know, you know what's happening. Mm. Unbelievable, man! Incredible and it, that, sound design for nineteen forty nine. Yeah, that's the thing. It was it was a mono soundtrack, but it's somehow over there. Like, how the fuck did they do yeah. that? I just I really don't know yeah. how they did that. <laughs> um, really guys, good. I guess the last thing I want to talk about dramaturgically. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just I was gonna say Is, what uh, what this movie won one Oscar. What was it? It's just, I'm in the middle of your cinematography, now, so it's a bad time to ask for that. Yeah, of course. Okay, back to it's got to be cinematography, right? Black and white. Yeah, mm. yeah, black, black and white. And white oh yeah, because they had divided. Graham Greene's choice, and I, I would imagine Carol Reed was involved with that with the storytelling. The fucking relationship at the center of this movie between this woman who is in love with somebody else. We've seen a story, we've read the stories where their significant other dies and the friend comes in and they fall in love. But this is never quite that, is it? 
she doesn't actually really mm -hmm. let go of her love for Harry Lime. And he doesn't ev ever actually yeah. become the man she needs him to be or to descend into to yeah. be right for each other. And then Carol Reed, against Graham Greene's wishes, puts this ending in the film. Yeah. Where the unrequited last stab, she's worth my time. I just want to talk to her and make sure she's okay. And yeah, she just Nicole. fucking ignores him. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting. It just brings, it makes the movie more than just the pulp noir kind of mm. genre flick that it is by putting that ending in there, which yeah. I would say like the endings matter. And that, dude. Like, yeah, that, and that is the just one they changed. That kick-ass chase scene, it would be a different movie, wouldn't it? Dave, yeah. how the fuck do you think they got all those leaves to fall off the trees like that in that ending? It was just fucking absolute perfect, like the absolute perfect time of year. There were fucking leaves falling off those trees in no, real there's, time. There's, there's people up on fucking ladders throwing garbage bags of leaves out. I don't know what they're doing. It's <laughs> unreal. It's dude. The texture yeah. and rhythm. And... Yeah. Absolutely gorgeous. Anyway, that's all I got, you guys. I think that's, I think that's it for me, except Satchel Foot. Cat got your tongue. <laughs> also, some of these lines. Who are you working for? Oh, oh wait, wait, one, one more shot, one more shot. Um, in the in the apartment when he's talking, and it zooms into the flower the flower bed, oh, and then comes out of the bushes. What a transition! I was like, how did they do? Uh, like, I've I've seen a lot of old movies now because you fuckers make me watch them, but that's the first time I've seen that pulled yeah. off. Uh, like, especially really well, from that right? age, yeah. Um, that got him the award. It wasn't the suicide. He should admit that one scene. And he said, he's, he's, Romeo and Juliet's yeah. got this. He's on, he's on his little platform so floating, Honestly, floating in. He's got full Dave, wood. And he's they... like, this is it. This is it. Let's give it to the fucking first AC. The fucking focus pulling was... How did they do that? That was unremarkable. They came in from I, like 12 I feet know away. The first AC was focus pulling back then. It was one guy. You know, but actually, actually, even now they still do it differently. In the British Union, there are two. There is the cameraman and the lighting man, and the cameraman has multiple assistants. So I'm not actually sure who they actually have pulling focus for them. But the, did you know that back then it's not they weren't hmm. the cinematographer did not light and was in charge of camera movement and blocking. Yeah, that's that still kind of happens. It's <laughs> still how they pretty much do it over there. We're we're one of the only unions that doesn't do it that way. But anyway, so my favorite Ending lines here. Note. So my favorite lines here. Death is at the bottom of everything, Mister Martins. Leave it to the professionals. So good. Followed uh, up by later on Orson good. Welles's line: "Dead or happy or dead, those little devils." <laughs> Those little devils. Little devils oh, devils. God, that is so good. Uh, and by the way, I, I always love a good Nazi and or Russian train scene. So a lot of these were train station, but we got a couple good train scenes. I feel like this time period, those train scenes are really fucking good. They're good. Any other standout lines? Um, I, I just think it's funny that um, when Anna was taken to go to the international police headquarters, whatever the fuck that means, the international police headquarters sounds oddly vague and made up. They said, oh, it's standard procedure, just a checkup. Just a checkup? Is this her annual physical? What do you mean, just a checkup? <laughs> Who well, takes somebody to a police station police, for a checkup? International police was what they formed when it was the four quarters because there was representatives from each quarter right. as, and right. it was known as the international police, I believe. Yeah, just for a checkup. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they call. did. I had a couple good ones. 
I got a couple good ones. We should have dug deeper than a grave. Mm. Ooh. Bombed about a little bit like that one. I, I like this one. And then uh, Holly, when she's talking, when he's talking with Anna, and they're talking about Harry Lyme, and Holly says, when he was 14, he told me the three-card trick. That's growing up fast. And she replies, he never grew up. The world grew up around him. Yeah, that That's was all. good. That's good, Anna. Yeah. Again, right. can you imagine? Before imagine we give away the whole screenplay to this movie. Period. No, there's one more. One more. That's funny. Early on, right when right when Holly finds out that Harry Lyme was killed right before he got there, they go, he's dead? Yeah. Sorry for the grave diggers. Hard work. It is frost. <laughs> the guy's yeah, that, dead. And like, oh, that was, that that was your intro diggers. to like the movie, yeah. Yeah. He shows up and they're like, hey, I'm looking for my friend. Oh, he's dead. Oh, what? And then he goes to the funeral. You knew him? Yeah, that's awkward. <laughs> It's like, I was going to stay with him. That's awkward. Oh, yeah. Sorry for the grave diggers. It's frost. <laughs> Ground's frozen. It's, I mean, what a what an opening. God, it's good. I'm just going to stop. We're just going to end on one, the last point. I said it at the very beginning. I'm just going to say it again. We cannot imagine going through the World, world War II. Okay. We cannot imagine right. it. And even as Americans, people, unless you fought over there, literally, you never really got close to that. Americans mostly, if you were here, had a totally different experience than people who lived in yeah, fucking Unless Europe. you're in the Air Force so and the uh, Masters of the Air. Otherwise, everyone else... That's what I'm saying, unless you served. Yeah. I'm just so thankful that there are movies that took this that time period during the war and right after seriously so that we... This is the only documentation I really have of this kind of period, you know? Like, it's, it's good that there are movies that took themselves seriously. London Films took a chance and made a movie, set it over there, and fucking really tried to tell a yeah. story that was still not... They didn't make you eat your spinach about post-war Vienna. They put it in a fucking compelling yeah. genre pick, and I and I was able to watch it with a smile on my fucking face and learn a little something. I just think that's yeah. so fucking cool, dude. I feel like this, this is... This, is this the same year that Mother Courage and Her Children came out? I think it was 1949 in Germany. Uh, 30... Oh, nope, never mind. That was 10 years earlier. doesn't matter. But anyway... The play? play but um i love that this is in vienna and that ferris wheel is in leopoldstadt which is um a community a part of vienna and it's real they were really there in that place like that it still exists by the way you guys vienna shout out to al if you're still listening al well apparently apparently if you want dude dude, you can go and watch it because apparently there's still a theater in vienna where this holds one real a sc- um, a, there's a oh, screening shit. of cool. this three times a day in that one theater. What? <laughs> Still screening. Cool. That reel must be, it must look awful. Yeah, right? Can you imagine what that is? That's no fucking 4K restoration. <laughs> Once a day for fucking yeah. 80 years or <laughs> Three times a day. Three showings a day. Al, send, send my notes directly to me. You don't have to put them online for everybody else to see. All right. Just send them directly to me. Al, we love you. We miss you. I want to go to Vienna now. Mm. Mostly because of you, but also because of the third man, Carol Reed. And Mozart. We should watch Amadeus next. Dave, can you pull uh, 1984, please? All right, people. That is the end of our segment about the third man and films of 1949. Unfortunately, we did not have time to get to Jolson Sings again. We'll have to (laughs) run back to that at some point. (laughs) This is our uh, 1927. Better not come up. Better not pull 1927. (laughs) Oh, the singer. That's right. um okay so uh as always we're going to spin the random year generator do our what you've been watching and then at the very end of this segment we're going to do a little punch in of the movie that we've selected to talk about from that year should so I hit, dave you ready to spin should i hit the button let's do it Woo. 
19. 80. Go away. 80. 1980. 80. Oh, I... Jeff and I just thought of the same movie. Empire Strikes, <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Not Raging Bull, movie. Raging Bull. <laughs> yeah, come on. Hey, hey, hey. Did you, did you fuck my wife? Did you fuck my wife? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Did you come up it's weird that you should bring that up, but uh, yeah, we'll t- move on. <laughs> oh, 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 look what he did. How could you ask me that? I mean, brother, how could, how could, how could you ask me that? How could you, how did could you? you ask me that? What are you, what are you talking about? All right. Maybe if you did a little more fucking, a little less eating. Okay. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Jeff likes that movie. Just, 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 can everyone remember I'm using this section as a as an ad for next week's show? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Fuck people. Fuck you, future listeners. Uh, you, guys, you, you, wait. You haven't watched shit. Neither of you watched a goddamn thing. So, fuck you guys. This is going to be my segment. Dave, what did you watch this week, huh? I haven't watched a thing. Yeah, you too busy. I, I mean, John? We Sorry, we Dave, be going through the Mentalist, really? like we're going back through the Mentalist, the old uh, nice. Simon Baker show. We're in season three. Sure, sure. going to help me repot this it's plant, fun. so you can't see when I'm trying to Google the shit that I'm talking about during our episode. John, yeah. I watched. At least we can't um, hear it anymore. Elizabeth started. Elizabeth started watching Grey's Anatomy. Oh God! And I have never seen that show before. And I, it's just, you know, it's fucking Shonda Rhimes. You just, you just, that show can just run for fucking can like you believe, infinity. Can you believe it? It actually is. And it has. <laughs> um, I remember, I was just thinking about it because seasons. the Super Bowl went to overtime yesterday. And I remember one of the highest rated TV shows of our generation was the episode with Christina Ricci holding the bomb in the guy's stomach with Kyle Chandler. It premiered after the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl was on. ABC. I missed that one. She had to catch me up on that one, but I heard that was a big episode. Was it two parters? Um, yeah, I watched that. Was it, was it ER? Did it? Um, ER lot when they did their live episode. Um, live. The, yeah, they did an ER episode live. It was they the whole episode was done live, and uh, they literally the program that was I think it was I think it was ER did it. The program that was finishing was on the TV in the first shot. Like they piped it through, oh wow! That's and then pulled cool. out from the TV, and then the whole thing started. It was online. And it's, it's an hour. It was an hour of television done completely live. Guys, I also watched, and I do feel like I want to call this out just because it's, it's worth it. Twenty-five year anniversary of Sopranos. Oh yeah, I read read about that. Been thinking about that. Oh, did the rewatch? Yeah. Wonder. And in in a class last week, this this class I have, this TV class, we watched episode five, season one. College. Oh. College, it's the best. Like, that's the one. That's the, the one. episode where, you know, shit. You had to do it. I've never seen any of it. Anything. Come on. He had I, hadn't to do watched, it. I hadn't watched any Sopranos in a long time without, you know, it's not like I forgot how good it was. But my Lord, it is still singular. It's, it's okay. not this giant cinematic thing that I think we think of nowadays when we think of really great streaming television. There's like this very heightened cinematic. I know you hate that word, Dave, but you know what I mean. Crazy, <laughs> like, giant production design and yep. a lot of money gets poured into it this just feels different it feels independent and it's the writing and the acting that are just through the roof and somehow they end up yielding something that no one has ever really done before did or they do, since then they do what the wire so did as well where they were shooting on film I, i've never i've never actually they seen shoot anything a lot. i think they Sopranos. shot a lot of that those earlier seasons on film i think mm. so too the fact that he was able to pull off telling um 
Oh, this fucking thumbs up that comes up on my screen now. Oh, it's been doing it the whole way through the episode. Um, <laughs> so many hearts. The way, the way that he's able to convince Meadow Soprano to go to this shit without him. But honestly, the conversation he has with the guy outside his house, it's, I mean, it's, it's, that's it. It's, cin- it's cinematic gold, man. It's, it's really amazing. is unbelievable. It's so good. So, um, that was really fun. Ambush was the live episode of ER that Dave is talking about, which premiered on NBC on September 25th, 1997. And how fucked up and greedy those bastards were. Not only did they pre-tape it in case there would be a technical issue, which makes sense. They pre-taped the final draft. They did this for the live musicals, too, in case somebody, I don't know, breaks their leg, like rent live. And then you have to watch them bullshit half-assed performance, which people are not giving it their best because the guy broke his leg in the day of the actual show. But they had to film it live twice, once for the East Coast and once for the West Coast. So these motherfucking actors oh, were cool. like, Two never runs. again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I thought that East was Coast... so much fun. They got to do a second stab. I would have yeah. loved that if I was them. But it's kind of a third it's because like... they filmed it the day before. And you got to show up for that too. Yeah. And but like the New York one had just a slightly more F-bombs than the uh, the LA I one. They got pay... <laughs> Only after mistakes. <laughs> I hope they got Fuck. paid more. September 25th, 1997. I watched Killers of the Flower Moon, boys. Guys, I watched it. I watched it with Angela. We came, we came back on Friday night. We were trying to figure out what we were going to do. She's trying to watch her SAG Award stuff. And so we were like, all right, tonight's the night. And we started it so late for another reason. We started at like nine and it was like, fuck. So we tried to watch this in December, by the way. We're not being lazy. We tried to watch it and it was a day that a flood was supposed to come and we were supposed to be in Soho for our screening. And we just were like, we don't want to risk like going to Soho and then having the fucking water pour through the walls of the subway like it had done a month and a half before. Um, and when I was stuck in Long Island, basically because of the shit. So we like at the Jesus. last second pulled out we watched past lives with that night, which was great. But it was like, we were really looking forward to going to the theater, sitting down for four hours and watching this movie. We finally put it on. We're just kind of going to watch it for two hours and do the, I know that's not the way you're supposed to do it, obviously, but we can do whatever we want. Cause it's on Apple TV. That's what you get Marty for fucking selling it to Apple TV plus. <laughs> we could not stop watching this movie. We couldn't stop it. Yes. We, we, yeah. we, we, honestly like 10 or 15 minutes in I'm th- I'm sitting there and I'm about to say like the score is incredible because of course I, the score keeps coming up for me for some reason but I'm like oh my god this movie the fucking score and out of nowhere and like not even 10 minutes in Angela goes this movie is incredible <laughs> like we're, immediately I was like do you hear the score she was like the score the performances every single thing she's like De Niro I was like oh my god yes like with immediately we knew that we were going to be fucking hooked by this movie it is not what I expected I don't know what I was expecting but this was not it and honestly she said Angela gave the best review ever because I know everybody's saying it's so long she was like I didn't notice the time and this is the kind of movie that I could just have and watch over and over and over again have it on all the time. It's like and it's still in so theaters. Happy. In case anyone who who doesn't have Apple TV go wants it. to go, go see, see it. it in theaters, do it because it's like I, I feel like you need the push. I we didn't need it thankfully, but when you go into it, I feel like everybody needs a back like an out or something. And so it's just go to the theater and plan the time. It, it is you don't notice the time. It yeah. is this movie's so you, fucking you, good. I, like I can't the, I can't in the next, believe in the next month you're gonna have a choice. You can go and see Episode One, Star Wars Episode One, back in theaters, or you can go and see Killers of the Flower Moon. If yeah. that doesn't do anything for the numbers of Killers of the Flower Moon, I don't know what does. It should. I mean, see them both. I don't. I don't want to be like, oh well. Of course, here he is liking a Scorsese movie. This is not a Scorsese. It's. I know it is. It is in this in the fact that it's brilliant, but it, it shares 
if it shares anything to any of his other movies, I didn't notice them because I don't give a fuck. This story, I'm so story first. It was so brilliant, and I, I know the perspective thing that everybody's talking about. Okay, fine, whatever the fuck you want. Here's all I know: no matter who you are, what your background is, this movie hurts. So if you want to talk about perspective, it's fine. If they change the perspective, it hurts. This story hurts everything about it, and I can't stop watching it. I can't stop watching it, knowing that there's pain involved with watching this, and I need to watch it. But I also enjoy watching it. It, it is one of those experiences that it's like Oppenheimer was an event. It was brilliant. I love it so much. This movie is just, it's it's on a, it's in another stratosphere. You know, it's it's in a total different world. I don't even know how to compare it to any other movie. It's just so magnificent on its own. And I can't believe t- that. It was dude, three and a half I'm hours. So- I couldn't stop watching it. And I could have easily turned, <laughs> I want to turn it on again and watch it again. I want to start it all over again yes. and watch the whole fucking thing again. <laughs> I am so glad to hear you say that, dude. Just because, isn't it obvious, you guys? It's fucking like palpable in the award season throughout the year that people do not want to celebrate this film. It, it, everybody has just decided for whatever reason, Martin and Scorsese's Lily movies Gladstone are will get her Oscar And she deserves it. Oh my God, she deserves it. Back to you, John. Leonard Maltin. Do you guys remember it? I can't remember. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I saw it at this class that Leonard Maltin, the famous film critic hosts and Philip, uh, Eric Roth, excuse me, came to talk. He's the screenwriter. He's written shit ton of movies, including several Scorsese's, Forrest Gump, you know, he's one of the greatest. And he, what he said, because, you know, somebody got up and asked a question and they talked about that. And he said, he said, you know, Martin Scorsese said to me, he says the best direction that he gave me throughout the whole process, which might speak to your concerned student who was saying, why didn't you write it from the other perspective? It feels, you know, inappropriate that you did that. And Martin said to me, Every page, in every page, you and I should be culpable. This should be a film about culpability. And that is, the, that is what we have going for us through this perspective. That's a, that's a perspective we can learn about and tell. And you just, I don't know, just, I don't know, you guys interviews, it's, if you watch the round table and meet the nominees and stuff with the DGA, you can tell that like his life was changed by making this movie. Oh, yeah. The guy who was set in his ways and not, not, not I'm not, uh, discrediting him with that, but he he likes his New York lifestyle and he tended to make a certain kind of movie. Every now and then he would do something else. And he always learned so much from them. And uh, last thing I'll just say is that Leonard Maltin made a comment when he was introducing it that he was just like, this man is 81 years old and he is still pushing himself as an artist. This watches like no other Scorsese movie you've ever seen. It doesn't feel like one of his other movies. And that is just, if nothing else, Watch it for that. If you're a film person and you love that, watch this guy who has made movies you can quote and you can think about and you know the style and watch him blow you away with something else. If you think you can draw a line from Goodfellas to Casino or Taxi Driver to Raging Bull and you watch this movie, if you didn't know anything about who this person was, you wouldn't think about him at all. Everything's just so story first. Two things I'll say to finish up. Number one, the performances. There's a weird triangle in this movie where you have De Niro, Leo, and Lily Gladstone. And the way they work together is masterful. It it is like one of the best film triangles I've ever seen. And you have a manipulator, you have a total submissive, and Leo is miscast in that sense, and they sort of rewrote it for him, and they completely compensated and then some to have the guy from fucking Wolf of Wall Street become this submissive, but not ignore the fact that he has this presence, but to watch him to watch him work through these things, that it, this is a simple-minded character, is brilliant. And Lily Gladstone is a fucking rock. 
She doesn't have, she barely says anything. And she really is the center of this movie, even though Leo is definitely the lead and De Niro's role might even be the second biggest. Lily Gladstone is that center piece that they are fucking electrons dancing around her. Like it is sensational that she's, performance. She's going to win, dude. She's she, such and a she deserved fucking win. deserves it. Yeah. I can't believe she, yeah. she, how much she deserves it. And um, the last thing I'll say about this perspective is, because again, back to the perspectives, um, and I can only speak to what I saw is Leo said something really funny with Scorsese there in an interview once where he was talking about why Taxi Driver was so meaningful for him. And the way he described it, I guess is normal, but I, I'd never heard it described this way, where he says he fell in love with Travis Bickle and then he deceived him. Like Leo felt hurt watching Taxi Driver because this character he was rooting for deceived him. He thought he was moral, but he actually is selfish or whatever his reasons was, he felt deceived. And so watching this performance, it was fun for me to be so deceived. I, I really didn't expect Leo's journey in this movie, but I felt hurt. I felt deceived by this character that I thought I was going to, you know, anyway, it was, it was very complicated. The emotions going through this movie and it's fucking, it's, yeah, it's you can't compare it to Oppenheimer. You can't compare it to any other movie, not to say that it's better or worse. It's just, it's just an, on a, it's a different plane. Okay. I'm out. What an addition to the canon. God All damn, right, let's take a break, and we're going to be right back and announce what movie we're going to be doing next week from 1980. And we're back. And we are We're back. back. All right, so are we doing Raging Bull, which we talked about before? No, we are not doing Superman 2. We are not doing Caddyshack. We are not doing The Shining. We're certainly not doing Heaven's Gate, although I did think about it, but it is almost four hours long, and it's definitely terrible and tanked an entire, not, a, not only a studio, an entire- I've seen it before. Entire, it's not that bad. Entire way of life for Hollywood. Yeah, I don't know. What was it? What was the problem with it? Why, why did it happen? It's too much. It's not, it's not great. What are we doing? We are doing- all that jazz? Nope, nope. We are not doing all that jazz. Which one? Four Oscars? No, we are doing the Long Good Friday, which is a 1980 British gangster film directed by John McKenzie from a screenplay by Barry Keefe, starring Bob Hoskins and that's right, future Oscar winner Helen Mirren, future Dame Helen Mirren and Bob Hoskins, who you may know as hmm. both Mario. And Smee. Mario. And if you wanna if you wanna watch it, it's on Max. Uh in the US. That's right. A little so bit of watch London, it, little, and then watch a little us. bit of North, North Ireland, IRA, Belfast fundraising shit going on. It's gonna be great. People, the long good Friday on Max. That's what we're talking about next week. President's Day weekend, twenty twenty four. Can't wait to see you there. Anything else before we go, you two knuckleheads? Nope. Bye. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Fuck. Okay.